coming to the close of our second day together. The circumambulations and circumlocutions around getting ready for a Dharma talk are amazing sometimes. There have been times when I have thought that it's a purifying process. (laughs) This afternoon, as I was beginning to gear up and uh, realized I I would be sitting here speaking with you, I realized I didn't know what to say, (laughs) which is not new. I didn't know what to talk about. My mind wouldn't really cooperate and come up with a topic. So I I decided to practice what I preach, and I thought, well, I don't know. So how about staying with not knowing? How about just being with not knowing? I used to consider not knowing uh, to be a problem. That was before I started having senior moments. <laughs> and the more time goes on, the more not knowing. <laughs> and the more I've studied and become overeducated in this life, the more not knowing. I used to say things like, um, you know, we don't know where we came from, actually. We don't know um, what we're doing here. And we don't know where we're going. We certainly don't know what anything is, really. I mean, we give things names, but we don't really, really know what anything is. And I would make those statements and talks and, and imply that that was really an unfair situation <laughs> to be in. That's our, our, our dilemma, our situation. How unfair that there isn't a, uh, a book of instructions for us on earth, us earth people. But as I was um, contemplating the not knowing this afternoon, I realized one one more time that my attitude toward that state of empty mind has changed quite a bit. And I've started to see it as an opportunity rather than a problem. Those moments when your discursive blah, blah, blah goes off the track, and falls into empty space. I've started calling it the land of many possibilities. Very much, very much like sitting in meditation. Each time you sit, fold your legs, straighten your back, start to acknowledge being here, settle in for the session, You really don't know what's going to happen. And there's that moment that I was contemplating this afternoon where there's a clean slate. You know, it's all open. It's up for grabs. That moment. One of my teachers, Chogyam Trungpa, used to call it the primordial dot. (laughs) 
the primordial dot, that mind moment that still is unborn and is not cluttered with all of our stuff. And he used to say, if you can be on that dot, you won't have to meditate anymore. So I've thought a lot about that over the years. And this afternoon as I was contemplating not knowing and looking into that empty place, I saw it as an opportunity to inspect what it is that goes on actually in this body-mind. A moment of lucidity, a moment of of not knowing, of quiet. What is it that actually happens here in this state of being human with a body and a mind? Of course, the first thing that came up made it themselves obvious were the ways in which that clarity disappears, gets obstructed. And just as you've probably experienced from time to time on your cushion here, it's not uncommon for fear to bubble up or come roaring in whatever your experience is. Fear. And several of you have asked me today actually to say something about fear. It's a, an experience that's universal for all of us who are in the process of letting go of conditioned thinking, letting go of fixed ideas about who we are. Fear is inevitable as the structures crumble or dissolve. Those structures that we've worked a lifetime to put into place. What you meet when that happens can be abject terror. Fear arises, I intend to say more about it in a little while, but basically fear arises because this egoic self, the one who thinks he or she is somebody and who has a story, is, is basically very insecure. Doesn't even have much of a place to stand, no platform in empty space. The whole thing's teetering. The egoic self doesn't have any actual basis in fact. It's, as the Buddha taught so many hundreds of years ago, this idea of being somebody is, when you look very closely, a mistaken idea of how it works. In Buddhism, called wrong view. So, don't want to get into that. It's a little early for all that. But I do want to say that this fear arises not without reason. Because when space in the mind opens up, and the habitual ways of constructing ourselves and experiencing ourselves fall away, there is a kind of a uh, panic that can come up. It can happen very quickly. There's nothing to hang on to. It's a free fall through empty space. There's no security. And that was one of the Buddha's primary teachings was that there is actually no security here. Everything is in constant flux and change, including who you are and who you think you are. 
So it's a little bit more than our minds, our, our individual self-minds can wrap around that there is nothing but process. There, there's nothing fixed and solid here, including our own bodies. So the fear translates itself, not surprisingly, in the human body instantaneously as contraction, as as a clutching, as a shrinking in the energetic system, a holding on, uh, a, a, a desperate attempt to make it all hold still and make it real somehow, make it luminous, solid somehow, so that we could be reassured. All of you have at one time or another, and perhaps today, experienced some of that reaction, that reaction to glimpses of reality, that everything is in flux and movement, and that although it all appears solid, even our scientists tell us, in fact, it isn't. Not even this vehicle, this body. It's mostly space and constantly changing. Well, in this moment of seeing clearly that comes with not knowing anything, there arises a movement in the mind that's kind of habitual and a reaction to the emptiness and a a kind of uh, conversation begins to happen quickly in our minds, an an internal monologue or uh, in many cases, for a lot of us, a dialogue. My teacher used to call that dialogue, the conversation between top dog and underdog. And he's, he would describe it something like, um, Oh, um, you need to, these are the voices, you need to get your act together because um, uh, if you don't, you're going to lose your job and you're not going to have any money next week. And this is one voice. And then the other voice is, Oh, I'm so tired. Give me a break. Um, I, just, I want to stay home today from work. I, actually, I have a headache. And then the other voice says, yeah, you had a headache yesterday. And look what happened. You're going to lose your job. And then the other voice says, oh, I know, but I'm nervous today. And uh, I need to rest. And, then, and on and on it goes. The internal dialogue in the mind, the voice in the head that happens as soon as the emptiness passes and in reaction to the the realization of being here, the mind starts chattering. Subconscious gossip, Chilgrim Trungpa used to call it, tends to be uh, this mind, this voice, tends to be critical of us, tends to be very judgmental, and has a lot of negative opinions. Has a lot of opinions about how life is and how it should be. And it's very much, this voice in the mind, it's very much oriented toward the future, or it obsesses about the past. It's like uh, some, some teachers have, have likened this mind to a monkey in a tree. 
It uh, is constantly jumping from one mental image to another, telling stories and making comments. You're doing pretty good. Yeah, you're looking good today. Don't don't uh, don't look around too much because people are staring at you. <laughs> yeah, but I look good. Yeah, but um, there's a hole in your sock. You know? <laughs> and besides that, uh, you're getting nervous. Yeah, but but um, uh, I feel better than I did yesterday. Yeah, well, you think so. Yeah. <laughs> and on and on it goes. That internal dialogue. Somebody um, once asked the uh, great uh, Buddhist teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, what he would, how he would characterize the the Western mind, the Western society. And uh, his response was, (laughs) lost in thought. (laughs) Lost in thought in reaction to fear. Voices in the mind tend to be very judgmental and are commenting all the time on reality. Once removed, either ahead of it or behind it as it unfolds. It's all an involuntary process. Actually, if you've been watching the last couple of days, you've probably had first-hand experience of that inner dialogue, that commentary on what's happening here, how you're doing, who you are, how your posture is, who's looking at you, (laughs) whether you'll get enlightened, this time around, when the bell is going to ring, yeah. wonder what's for lunch, etc., etc. We, we all do it. We all have this experience of the movements in the mind, these voices. It can be very embarrassing, actually. One time, <laughs> my, uh, my first spiritual teacher was, a, was really a great spiritual master, and I was incredibly in awe of him, if not to say in love and in worship. And uh, whenever I had time to be in his presence, I would be like this drooling idiot with just, all I could do is just look at him and hope that somehow it was going to radiate off of him and I was going to breathe it in and turn out to be like him, you know. It was that sort of relationship. Followed him around like a little puppy dog. Look at me, look at me, I'm here. And um, the the scuttlebutt around the, the spiritual circles that I was hanging out in in those days was that it's possible every once in a while that one look from the spiritual master and you got it, you know. One glance and you could get enlightened. So my friends and I, we were all like, me, me, you know. One day at a garden party, he was walking around he was visiting in the United States, and he was walking around greeting everyone. Of course, everyone's standing there stiffly terrified, you know. And he, the poor man uh, has to walk up and be friendly to these, these posts standing there. <laughs> and uh, literally. And uh, he came up to me and put his, his um, hand on my shoulder, said something, and I don't. I was so uh, totally blitzed out. I don't even know what he said. You know, 
and I looked in his eyes and all this light was shimmering and my mind stopped and uh, all I could think of to say was, will you see the children when you're here? <laughs> you know, I had three children and I thought, wouldn't it be nice if he could look at them too? <laughs> so I'm, Master, will you see the children when you're here? And there was this long pause, and he zapped me with those eyes, and he said, I'm doing that now. <laughs> Do you know it took me two years to realize he was talking about me? <laughs> I thought he was um, mentally on another plane seeing the children. <laughs> he was talking directly to me. When I realized that, I was so embarrassed. All of the activity in the mind. Here's a poem. Where does it all come from? Good question. Huh? Where does it all come from? We don't know. We don't bring the breath or the beating heart or the inner sound of calling, the constant reminder that we are not permanent residents here, but collections of memories and dancing elements all loaned for the moment. Hmm. So that a deep sigh the bowels twisting in their cavern are all events staged from some clever screenplay written by nobody and acted by no bald old man sitting on a meditation cushion, smiling at the sweetness of such generous mystery such wild imagining beyond anything anyone ever thought or decided to produce. We, we are beautiful strands of amusement, threads of momentary desire and indescribable Twists in the wind. Indescribable twists in the wind. Well, in addition to all of this inner dialogue or monologue, whatever you want to call it, that I was describing the, the voices in the mind, the judgments, the critical opinions, all the thoughts about life, about the future or the past. All of it really irrelevant to the actual experience of here and now. There is also the body. There's the physical body. And what moves in the body, the sensations of life force, sensations of life itself. We feel the heat and cold, pain, various kinds, touches, pressure, pleasurable sensations, tightness. And then also there is something like touch, an ongoing felt body sense in, in, in this physical body, this presence that we appear here in. An ongoing felt body sense. All the while... 
the mind is turning out thoughts about reality and discussions of the situation and comments on everything. Simultaneously, there is this process of body life happening. Sensations are arising and passing away all the time. The life in the body. And unlike thoughts and the process of thinking, the sensations in the body happen in the here and the now, in the present time. Thought pretty much relates in content to the past or the future. The sensations in the body are here now. Even though these sensations are almost unimaginably small sometimes in size and are oscillating at almost unimaginably rapid rates of vibratory frequency, they can still be distinctly felt. He's referring here, uh, this is from a paper by... uh, uh, Somebody, <laughs> I just had a mind moment. <laughs> it's a paper by somebody. <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> it's happening right in front of your eyes. <laughs> they may. Uh, the sensations may appear in a multiple multitude of forms ranging from dull and cloudy sensations whose uncomfortable mass may cover relatively small and specific areas of the body to the subtlest and the most delicate sensations whose existence we can detect as a kind of pleasurable tingling or a shimmer passing through the entire length of the body. He's speaking of ongoing body presence. The uh, felt body sense that is going on subliminally all the time. And when you're in practice, meditation practice, you start to become more and more aware of that, that ongoing felt body sense. It goes on at the same time the thoughts are passing through. They happen simultaneously. The one factor common to all the many forms of sensations is that they are constantly changing their appearance from one moment of awareness to the next in the manner of tidal waters that ebb and flow. Sensations can be felt to build and subside only to build again. This is as true of the grosser sensations like pressure, pain, hardness, grosser sensations that we are tempted to label as pain, as it is of the finer shimmering currents whose constantly flowing and changing nature is easier to detect and observe. When we first start feeling in practice, tuning into our bodies, the life of the body in that way, we may initially start to experience mostly tensions, contractions, pressures that have to do with fear and anticipation of the future. we may experience that tendency that we have to hold ourselves tightly in some kind of attempt to be safe from external or internal dangers. So in sitting practice, 
you're not only becoming aware of the movement of concepts and, and thought through the mind, thoughts about the future and the past, but also becoming more and more sensitive to the, the immediate body reaction that occurs simultaneously with the thoughts, reactions of contraction, apprehension, can be very disconcerting at first. You can start to feel your your tensions as living energies. And they have a kind of conversation with you as you're sitting. Here's a poem about that. It's called The Soldier. And it's about the one inside who is on double duty and standing guard to protect you at all times, the one who is in reaction to the fear and wants to be sure that you're okay as disturbing thoughts or memories or images come up, as they will in the practice, as your mind opens and quiets down. The soldier... He stands inside my chest and throat, a soldier at attention, holding the line, guarding the storehouse from looters. They came once and stole everything, every bit of trust, every reassuring touch, and all the spontaneity all the spontaneity. Those days were long ago when intruders came and left their bloody footprints on my skin. But still that soldier stands holding a musket, a feather in his hat. I try to steal a smile from him every day, but He knows his duty. I say, at ease, soldier, as you were before strangers occupied the land, before my innocent heart was cut open like a ripe melon. Ah, he guards the scars. And every day, I visit with my bouquet of tender attention, my basket of appreciation. We touch each other with understanding, but he does not relax his stand for security. He has his duties, and I have mine. He has his duties, and I have mine. The soldier. You may recognize some of your inner experience in there, in that soldier standing guard. Standing guard over your own thoughts and your own sensations. All the myriad of exciting and incredibly exotic experiences that can arise in the body-mind in one sitting session and can be very frightening from time to time. Especially when there's strong emotion attached. Emotion that brings very powerful physical sensations. Tightness in your chest, a welling up in your throat. Vibration all through your belly. Sensations that happen as you sit and relax more and more and the body begins to settle in and not hold itself quite so tightly. Lots of experiences come up that you may not be totally used to. But 
I assure you, they're okay. It's all in the process of letting go, letting go of that one who thinks he or she has to protect and guard everything all the time. Letting go and relaxing into the moment of simply being here without an agenda. When I was first um, beginning to practice uh, as a young psychiatrist who, who had an interest in all of these things, the, the life of the body and the life of the mind and how they coordinate and work together, uh, in the early days there was a lot of confusion in my mind and um, there was a lot of difficulty seeing the body and the mind functioning as one total thing. And um, the result of that was that a lot there were, there were periods of anxiety coming up because I felt like I was dividing in half or breaking in two sometimes. And um, I couldn't quite contain in my awareness the experience of the mind churning out its thoughts and its commentary on everything, and the body uh, throwing up uh, myriads of, and bouquets of all kinds of sensations uh, that were unfamiliar, and all of it happening at once. So I, um, I started to look at... This was before coming to uh, the practice of Vipassana. I started to look around for some advice. And um, I heard that there was an old woman who lived in the, the uh, desert down south, southern California, way out in the desert in a, at an oasis in a trailer. And her name was Esmeralda, <laughs> believe it or not. And uh, that she was uh, also a, a, a student of my spiritual teacher and had accumulated a lot of wisdom. And um, I was experiencing more and more tension and fear, of course, as the body-mind began to unravel and relax. All of that held, contracted stuff was coming up, and I couldn't quite manage it. And uh, so I made a pilgrimage out into the desert by myself, and... and, uh, found her house trailer. It was a, uh, one of those um, kind of oval-shaped bubbles, very small one. She lived there alone at this place called Whitewater. And I remember arriving there, and uh, there was a... Uh, it wasn't an oasis, and there were some rocks near the water. And I went out and sat down on the rocks, and I thought, okay, now why am I here? Uh, I, I want to ask her some questions. I've heard that she's a very wise woman and I need to know what I, what, what's going on with me because I'm feeling anxious all the time and I don't know what to do with this mind and all of these feelings that are happening. And um, I uh, got up and walked over her, to her trailer and she didn't know I was coming. Uh, there was no way of getting in touch with her, no telephone or nothing like that. Knocked on the door and uh, this little old lady, I mean, she looked like your grandmother, so sweet and white hair. She opened the door and looked at me with these flashing blue eyes, and she said, oh, I've been expecting you. Whoa. <laughs> she, said, uh, she invited me in for tea. And we're in this little tiny travel trailer, and uh, she makes me a cup of tea, and and then she asked me why I was there, and I and I said, "Well, I, I'm having, uh, I'm a psychiatrist, <laughs> and uh, a, a body worker, and I'm having trouble putting the two together. the The body work seems totally separate from the mental emotional stuff to me, and I'm thinking I'm going to have to do one or the other. 
And it's a big problem for me because I don't want to. I like both. Psychotherapy and Gestalt therapy and Rolfing. It was body work. And she's looked at me for a long time. I didn't know if she understood anything I said. And then she started rocking back and forth. And then she started going, Praise the one. Praise the one. Oh, praise the one. And then she got up and she started dancing around, singing, Praise the one, praise the one. And then the, the, the trailer is rocking back and forth, and I'm holding on to my tea. And I'm thinking, this is some kind of moment here, you know. And there's something really going to come down. And then she's saying, praise the one, praise the one. And she looks at me and she points at me and she says, repetition is the key, repetition is the key, repetition is the key. And she started chanting this and she went off into ecstasy. And I'm sitting there, you know, thinking, I'm a psychiatrist. And uh, I'm here, and what am I going to... My mind stopped, and I started to weep. I just wept and wept, because she had told me the answer of everything that I needed to know, that that, um, the practice of repetition, the repetition of thought, the repetition of movement, the repetition of mantra, the repetition of breath would bring the whole thing together for me. And that understanding, although it didn't come in words, came crashing down in that instant that I started to weep. Esmeralda. You may be experiencing some intense moments yourself these days and in the days to come. Intense moments that come with dealing with very powerful thoughts and emotions and pictures that come up in the mind. And at the same time, really simultaneously, dealing with terrible pains and aches and weird vibrations and quiverings in the body. as the whole thing starts to uh, unfold and relax and come into the settling process of being here. You know, that that kind of shimmering and uh, shaking and vibration can happen in the process of relaxing tension. So I want to encourage you not to be alarmed at any strange feelings you might be feeling or at whatever thoughts come up in your mind that seem to be off the wall. You know, The thing that mind does that, it just churns out thoughts. That is what it does. It's, it's as though it has not very much to do with you. It just constantly churns out thoughts and concepts. And our work is just to simply be with it and let it go by. Thoughts are... Concepts are like bubbles in the mind. They arise at one end and they come bopping through, you know, and your conscious awareness, and then they break and they're gone. And then there's another and another and another. And in, in your work with yourself, sitting here with your body, don't take your thinking very seriously because it's all bubbles and it, none of it lasts. And the sensations, the strong sensations that you feel in the body are very likely uh, contractions that have to do with being a little afraid, contractions around past fears, and that with more and more attention to the here and nowness and the immediacy of breath and the experience of being here, those tensions will gradually relax and let go and the body will become more and more comfortable.
I hope that makes sense to you. It's a poem about that. This probably says it better than the linear sentences. Poetry is so crystal clear. Poetry goes to the heart of the matter so acutely, and that's why I love it so. This is called Mindfulness of the Body. Let's sit in the mud and watch our legs sink in organic matter and squish the stuff between our toes, make pies with our hands, roll around with our clothes off, getting dirty with earth. The only time peace comes, no strain, total satisfaction is when we fall out of concepts, when we fall out of concepts into flesh, here and now. Let's sit down in the barnyard, smell the manure, watch the moisture drip from the velvet noses of placid cows. Their eyes are so beautiful and brown. When ideas arise, let's not believe that they're more real than an itch between the shoulders. And that way, and that way, we'll all be here together at the same time. I have some more notes here, but I can't make sense of them, so I'm just going to... As time has gone on, I've become less and less linear. Maybe you can relate to that. So common is our tendency to, to hold our body and breath still as a way to block out the awareness of the literally sensational presence of the body, that we can consider this tendency to be a universal pattern of holding. It is universal because we are all in varying degrees doing it. It is also helpful to think of this tendency as universal to differentiate it from the more uniquely personal patterns of holding that reflect the unique history of each individual body and are the result of accidents, genetics, occupations, hobbies, emotional holdings and withholdings. My personal pattern of holding will be quite different from yours. We both, however, share in the universal tendency to hold our body and breath still as a way of blocking out the awareness of sensations. The price we pay for such a diminution of awareness, however, is high. Tension and holding interfere with the ability of the life force to pass freely and unobstructedly through the conduit of the body. The inevitable result is pain and numbness and a bewildering undercurrent of fatigue. Now, as you're sitting in these days, you may begin to feel that undercurrent of fatigue and that pain and various pains and numbnesses. The result of years and years of accumulating tension that we have all added to our beings. When we learn to release the tension and holding that typify this universal pattern, the solidified pain and numbness give way to an awareness of bodily vibrancy and presence as the sensations of the body become once again activated. Previously, body may have been experienced as a solid object with little feeling other than a dull numbness and specific areas of pain. Suddenly, 
its sense of solidity and numbness dissolves. And what appears in its place is a field phenomenon composed of shimmery sensations. And this is what you may experience in your sittings. Fields of shimmery sensations that can be felt in every part of the body as though flowing droplets of water were passing freely through a channel. This experience of free-flowing sensations has a distinct feeling tone of rightness to it and is most often perceived as a birthright condition, a return to the natural state that the body wants to assume. Your birthright is to feel your life in that way, to participate in your bodily life in that way. As the tensions and the preoccupations dissolve in your concentration, in your being with breath and the moment. One more quote, and then I'm going to quit. This is one you may have heard, but I love it so much. It's a quote from Martha Graham, the great dancer. And it has a lot to do with our work here in these next days together. There is a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening. Oh, I like that. A quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all time, there's only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares to other expressions. It is your business to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep open and aware directly to the urges that activate you. So my advice to all of you for the rest of our time together and from now on throughout your whole life and forever and ever Keep the channels open. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.